10 on your dial, your station for news in New York. Coming up, the all-night Barry Farber program. Excuse me? Gene Shepard. Barry Farber comes later. before we get too uh, deeply involved in the esoteric of tonight's uh, uh, epic. Hello, wait, wait, i got to adjust these things here. Hello, one, two, three, four. I'm tying my shoelaces. You know, a good, a good outfielder very carefully ties your shoelaces before he goes back to the wall. Have you noticed that, that all folk singers wait until the curtain goes up, the lights go on, 12,000 people are waiting for them to say something, and then they start tuning their guitar. You wonder why they couldn't do it backstage. Well, that's all part of the act, friends. So Shepard is hooking things up here now. He's tying his shoelaces. He's putting on his mitt, ladies and gentlemen. It looks like it's going to be an exciting show. Though. He's taking out that stiletto that he used to such effect last week. He's pausing now by the footlights. Up, he just spit down into the orchestra pit there. He shifts his tobacco chew from one side of his mouth to the other and put down the Cosmo. He turns around, he gives the beat, and...
Thank you, Herbie. That was real good. <laughs> Reset that because we're going to use that later on there. Listen, I, I, I have to be fair tonight. And uh, I don't often do this, but uh, for at least the last three or four years, I've been bugged by calls and letters. I don't take calls, but I've been bugged by letters, people writing in and asking me about the group that plays this wild music that I often play. You've, you've heard that question asked yourself, haven't you heard of you even? Well, that is not a commercially available recording, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's a private recording, and it was done by a group of people, a very interesting group called the Sons of the Whiskey Rebellion, of whom you've undoubtedly never heard of because it's an underground group, truly. In fact, if you set up a Hindo stand in there, I'll give you an idea. Maybe they haven't heard that side. And I'm not going to plug records tonight, but I, I just want to get it out of the way and clear the decks. So don't write to me anymore about it and ask me where you can get the record. You cannot get it. But it's called The Sons of the Whiskey Rebellion. They, they cut this and pressed it for themselves. It's a, one of the most interesting, truly most interesting, authentic-sounding Dixie groups I've ever heard. It's Dixie cum slash... Chicago Combs slash Noir. It's not pure Dixie, you know. It's got more interesting overtones than that. And uh, and just just to just to just to get the record straight, I uh, I received a note today that this this group you can only hear them live if you ever want to hear them. They don't they don't rec record. Uh, they're at a place called the Kingwood Inn, which I've never heard of. It's the Kingwood Inn Route 12. And it's five miles west of Flemington, New Jersey. <laughs> it's an underground group, and they're playing there Thursdays. That's all I know. And if, uh, if you're out in Jersey somewhere, and you've been digging for this recording, that's all I can tell you, and I'm not going to say any more. Now, I'm not a, a, you know, I don't play, as you know, I don't play records, but this, re this, this privately pressed recording happens to have a lot of sounds, feeling, and a sense about it that goes behind some of the things that I wish you know. Now, now, a lot of people will write to me and think that I'm a Dixie fan. No, not so. Uh, as you know, I will use uh, very modern German electronic music. Uh, in fact, uh, stuff that uh, many electronic cuckoos don't even dig. It's so far out. I will go all the way from that to uh, Raka. I will uh, occasionally deal with the Japanese. Anything that, that, that augments the uh, story, the world, the scene that's going on. So I'm not a Dixie fan. I do not play old. Uh, it just happens to be one of... And, but this is one of the most authentic of the, of the particular feelings that I'm working for. You agree, Herb? And uh, here's, here's, their, here's their... You've heard me do their Hindustan. Listen. There's a certain... A curious... I don't know. <laughs> it's like a, a, a taffy apple that has a worm in it. It's, a, it's got a... It's almost the other side of the, the Dukes of Dixieland. It's the real stuff. And again, I repeat, uh, it's called uh, the group is called the Sons of the Whiskey Rebellion. And, uh, and it's not a commercial, so it's not. I'm, I'm not plugging anybody. I'm just answering a lot of letters that I haven't had a chance to answer. And it's uh, Kingwood Inn. Kingwood, like King Richard III. Kingwood Inn, Route 12, five miles west of Flemington, New Jersey. And uh, they're there Thursday. Thursdays from 9 until 1. I just, somebody who sent me a note and says, uh, if uh, any of you uh, people, you know, that's all I can say. Forever hold your peace. You know, speaking of mail, 
uh, this is a, you know, it's a curious problem here that I've got tonight. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to, uh, this is going to be an atypical show tonight. Uh, and this is the last time I'm going to talk about it, so I don't want to uh, even get into it anymore. I'm just going to warn you that, uh, that when I'm working on television, when I'm working on radio, uh, when I'm working in Playboy, those are four or five different mediums. And, uh, you know, they're, they're both very and completely separate. And yet you can't keep them separate. I think most people are involved in all of them. Somebody who will read me in Playboy. And uh, I'd like to say right here that I have a Playboy story in the current May issue, in case you're curious. Uh, people who will read you in Playboy, they'll also listen to you on the radio if they live in this area. I happen to be a guy that likes to work in various mediums because I find it exciting, you know. I think that people who limit themselves to one thing uh, often, in a sense, destroy their creative verve. They don't destroy their creativity. They destroy the verve, you know, the excitement of, of, uh, of bringing in various other elements. Now, a lot of people will, will because of their own particular predilections, will want you to stay in one slot. In other words, uh, many people are very, uh, are very content, and they want to keep you in that slot. Uh, and other people are not that hidebound. They, they, they want people to move out. In other words, there's nothing wrong with, let's say, uh, Roy White, we'll say for an example, the outfielder for the New York Yankees. It would be nothing surprising to me if he turned out to be a fine short story writer. No, because he may have a lot to say. Being a Yankee outfielder, he probably would. Uh, so, but people are beginning to break down those barriers. You know, years ago, it used to be very sharp and distinct. You know, I think this is one of the reasons why a lot of people suspect that Shakespeare never wrote his plays, because he was an actor. We, we just don't trust that today. Uh, we just don't. Uh, and he, remember, he worked in the Renaissance, and he was a Renaissance man. And uh, this, is, uh, this is all part of, and, and we're undergoing a new one. I think we are undergoing a new Renaissance, and I think people are breaking down these elements. But the only thing that is elements of the artificial barrier between media. And anyway, the only thing I'm bringing out tonight, I'm not going to bring it up any longer. I've been deluged, and I might as well bring it right out in the open here, because I know a lot of you are wondering. I've been deluged with mail about my television show's debut last week, which was on Sunday at uh, 8 o'clock on Channel 13. And I know that, uh, of course, you can't separate that from everything else a man does, and it's just all part of your life. If, if Norman Mailer were to do a movie, there would be elements of Norman Mailer's work as a novelist. He's, he's a total artist that can't, can't separate it. However, uh, the, uh, the, the thing that's interested me about it more than anything else, and many, many things interesting me, to me about it, but uh, people have asked me, why did, you pick the tele why did you pick the steel mill as your first show? There was definite reasons for that. We'll talk about that later. Uh, first of all, we want to disabuse anybody of the idea that it's a travelogue. It's not a travelogue television show. And this is the clearest, most distinctive way to do it. Also, we felt that uh, bringing an experience which most people have never felt in their lives to them on television is, would be interesting to many people. The idea of how it feels to work in a steel mill, even though you've never worked in a steel mill, and perhaps because you haven't worked in a steel mill, would be interesting to large numbers of people. It has proved to be that way, according to the mail and the fantastic reaction we've had, both pro and con. 
by the way, this is WOR New York. And I'm not doing this to promote the TV show. I don't really care one way or the other whether you watch it. I hope you do, but I, you know, there's not much one can do about it if you don't. Uh, but the reason that uh, I am doing this tonight is because we've gotten so much mail, and I can't answer it, and I don't wish to answer it because uh, it would be unfair. But I would like to, I'd like to do something here that you probably never heard a performer or a writer do, and that is this. I'm sure that all of you have very, those of you who saw it. Now, I assume that those of you who saw it saw it in color. Now, that's the first premise that I must lay out. If you didn't see it in color, you're not a fair judge. If you did see it in color, because the show was designed for color reception, if you did see it in color, then you are a fair judge, and whatever you decide about it is valid for you. Very valid. Now, most people believe that if they don't like a thing, it's obvious that you've turned out a clinker. In other words, they believe that their, their taste is a universal taste, and that... that uh, and for you, probably, it's true, and it is. If, if I go see a stage play and I don't like it, uh, how can I argue with the thousands of others who do? In, in short, any work of art or work of communication, let's use that phrase, that's even better, is extremely subjective. Now, for example, I find Danish... You okay, hon? All right. I, find, I happen to find Danish educational films extremely, excruciatingly dull. And yet, I, I, I see the faces that go into them glistening with anticipation and excitement. So they don't. So who am I to say that they're excruciatingly... I don't want to say it for myself, that's all. And that's the way it goes. Let's take painting. Uh, I happen to find... Uh, oh, uh, a Renaissance painting, for example, very dull. I find, I find Rembrandt uh, dull, personally, for me. However, on the other hand, I happen to uh, enjoy, say, Jackson Pollock. <laughs> so where, where do we start? You know, where, where do we go from there? Uh, now, I, I've done something which you may find interesting. Uh, and and, and I'd, like to, I'd like to point out one thing here. That, that in New York, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic, we don't have today any longer in 1971 genuine television critics. We have genuine reporters television reporters who will, and they'll give an opinion, but they will uh, generally tell about what's going to go on next week, and they'll talk about what was just taken off and why cable TV isn't working, and that's really the story. I don't think we have a genuine critic since John Crosby, personally. I would say he was the last genuine television critic we've ever had in New York, who dealt with the TV the way a drama critic would deal with drama. He's not interested in the news of television. He's interested in the aesthetic value of a piece of work. Now, other cities do. And I think there are reasons for this. I think New York is very hung on, on, on Broadway. It's very hung on the theater. So all the important critics work on Broadway or the theater. And that's called important criticism. Now, that's not so for other cities around the country where, you know, the stage productions in town are just nominal and, and usually just a touring road company. So in those cities, you'll find genuine critics working. Now, I've taken one city, just to give you an idea of the difference, and I'm encouraged by this. The more I've found, the more a, a, a work of, 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 of communication causes argument and controversy, and I might say even direct contradiction between professional critics, the more that work has 
to offer. <laughs> you see what I'm saying there? The thing that gets universal put down or universal acclaim is suspect to me. Uh, because it's not really dealing, it, in short, if you're, if you're dealing with a man's life, you cause him to be unhappy. Did you notice the fantastic disparity of reviews a few years ago when uh, Virginia Woolf opened? Well, I suspect a lot of that had to do with the personal married lives of the critics. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I just have to say that. I'm very serious about that. And a critic is a man. He should be more than anything else a man. And he should have all the passions of a man. Now, I, I've selected one city to give you an idea of what two reviewers from a major city on the same day said about our show, which opened up Monday, uh, Sunday at 8 p.m. Here they are. Now, I'll give you first the... And I picked a good big city, so it's a big, sophisticated city. I didn't pick Allentown or I didn't pick uh, Dubuque. I picked Philadelphia, which is a pretty good-sized city. Two major newspapers... The same day, April 12, 1971. Two major critics, and by the way, I'll, beforehand, I'll point out, they're both right for themselves. So I'm not going to say this one's wrong and that one's right. It's interesting, though, to see the great contradiction. All right. The first critic is from the Inquirer, which, as you know, is a big paper. His name is uh, Harry Harris. And to give you an idea of uh, his view of life. Uh, his television column of that day, April 12, 1971, has a big headline that heads, Peter Cottontail joins list of holiday heroes. Well, that's his, his, uh, <laughs> his big uh, story of that day, something about Peter Cottontail. Well, then, down halfway through the column, he has his review, Mr. Harris, and it says, Shepherds, remember, he starts out with a review of Peter Cottontail. Then it says, Shepherds America off to dreary start. Gene Shepherd, the James Joyce of the airwaves, uh, has garnered lots of smileage, audio only and in print. Well, he's wrong there. I had a television show for some time in two different cities. But anyway, has garnered lots of smileage, audio only and in print, with his unique autobiographical stream of consciousness style. His strong point has been the universality of his anecdotage and its nostalgic details. So, why, to launch a 13-part PBS Gene Shepherd's America series Sunday, did he select something so remote from most people's experience, his adventures as a teenage steel mill employee? Now, that's a good question. Then he goes on to say what he thinks of it. The Phantom of the Open Hearth lives somewhere in Indiana seem to consist mostly of the dreary kind of pictures associated with industrial publicity films, in effect not even a lively cartoon and U.S. trademark opening rickety music and some amusingly vivid verbiage could dispel. Ever since his exposure to 3,000 degree open hearth heat, a hard hat wearing shepherd confessed between kooky cackles, I've identified with Mephisto the devil himself. Identifying may be easier for less satanic viewers in next week's One Man's Version of Heaven is a Super Howard Johnson with 28 flavors and no lines for the restroom. All right, now his point seemed to be that most people couldn't uh, identify with that. Didn't that seem to be what he really said? And that the photography was dreary and seemed to be uh, lackluster. Isn't that what he really said? Okay. Okay, now that's valid if he believes that. And I'm sure he does. We wouldn't have written it. Now, here is 
the same night, the same day, from an equally large paper, in fact, in many ways larger. This is the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin, April 12th, the same day. And this particular reviewer happens to be probably the largest uh, circulation reviewer on the East Coast at this time. And his name is Rex Polier, P-O-L-I-E-R, the Bulletin Television Critic. Now, he leads it off with a single story. His lead in the big headline is Gene Shepard's Unique America. Now, here's what he says, and you can compare the two. Now, I'm just arguing that you probably fall on, on one or the other side, but the only point I'm trying to make here is that both sides are valid, depending on your, your personal point of view. Now, an artist, whether he's dealing in television or painting, is dealing with his, per his personal point of view. So he's too valid. Now, here's what Rex Polier says. When an articulate, creative person like New York's radio personality Gene Shepard is given a chance to do his thing on TV, it's something to talk about. Last night on Channel 12, WOR's resident Aristotle premiered the first of a series of weekly half-hour programs called Gene Shepard's America. It was one of the best things I've seen this year on TV, and I can hardly wait for more. Shepard selected a steel mill, similar to the one he worked in as a youth in Indiana, for his backgrounds. He then proceeded to embellish the fantastic photography with a narration full of poetry, humor, excitement, mood, and enjoyment. Now, you see, he believed the photography was something else again. Uh, you know, that's the way with images. Uh, when one person sees nothing but sticks, another person sees beautiful form, you know, on a painting. But you want to hear what else he says? He goes on. He says, it was not a kooky writer's impressions of the American scene as the American dream machine too often reflects. This was the voice and thoughts of a man appraising his life and country the way it looked from the depths of the hellish steel mill. There is no bitterness, no regrets. It seems that Shepard was thanking everyone for his steel mill job and the indelible experiences that he derived from it. However, there was never any doubt about the realities of mill life. But Shepard, the optimist, the man eternally in love with life and experience, transcended it. Imagine getting excited after so many years about safety shoes. His description of how a bottle of cold Coca-Cola tasted after hours inside a scorching foundry made me thirsty for one. Shepard has the humor, the philosophy, the perspective to appraise virtues as well as faults of the land and its people. More important, you identify with them. The premiere was a beautifully filmed essay that wove in sight and sound with the spoken word. A lot of people are going to identify with Gene Shepard's America. And there you are. Now, I, I read both of them exactly the way they were written. And, uh, and I say that they're both right for them. And uh, it's it's fascinating, you know. This is the this is the thing that uh, that that writers and uh, actors get so used to all of their life. Uh, this this curious constant controversy over what they do. And I, I guess most people have never had the feeling of, of of in print people commenting on what you've done. Can you imagine if tomorrow morning a review were to appear on the day's work you just did today? On what? <laughs> well, it's a curious experience. And so ultimately, either, either you get to be very angry. Now, I've known some actors and, and performers 
who completely ignore critics. Uh, you know, don't even read the, uh, the critics that uh, write about them, uh, which I think is a kind of a silly attitude personally for my own taste. I, I, I'm fascinated with what other people say. That doesn't mean that it changes me, <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I change what I do depending on what they say, but I'm fascinated with what they say because these men are professionals. And, and I'm always curious what a, prof a fellow professional thinks of the work I've done. On the other hand, I've known other performers who just, just live and die with every word. I mean, if they get a bad review, they really seriously want to commit suicide. In fact, I know one actor who did commit suicide over a bad review. It was not publicized that way, by the way. Uh, actually, it was an actress. And I'm not even going to go into the names because it doesn't matter. But this particular actress got a devastating review and for three days brooded about it and wound up killing herself over it. And uh, it uh, was written up as it was an accident and the whole sleeping pill bit. But actually it was over a review. Now that's what some people will do. Others, on the other hand, will carry around a good review that they've gotten for years in their poor little wallet or their scrapbook and every time that somebody talks to them in the horn and hard art they whip out their scrapbook or their their critic their critical acclaim or whatever it might be uh, and that's another kind but uh, I'm, I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of uh, a free-floating type I'm, I'm I'm fascinated with what they say but uh, that's as far as it goes and uh, I find it intriguing. Now, I'm sure that out there right now, there's, there's a large number of people who are arguing right now listening to me. Uh, but I only brought this out to point out to you that whatever valid, whatever opinion you hold about anything that you see in the way of art or communication is valid. It is valid. Because art is a sensual and a very private experience. Just like whatever attitude you hold towards sex is valid. And there's a close correlation uh, between art and sex. There really is. That, uh, because it's, an ex it's, it's, an, it's a visceral feeling. And uh, whatever you hold about that is very valid. So, on the other hand, though, it's very, very wrong to feel that since you do hold this view, this is the true view. In other words, uh, don't attempt to feel that simply because you don't dig a thing, uh, that shows that it's ridiculous and silly. Uh, yeah, all right, we've got a couple of things. Speaking of beauties here, how do you like this production? Hit the big Palisades Amusement. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, they're open daily, you know, now. And, uh, hey, by the way, they've extended their merchandising special. A shopping bag with name brand merchandise. Free every day to the first thousand buyers of a $2 discount book. And that offer ends April 16th. So if you want a big shopping bag that says hot diggity dog on it, get over there. Hit the button. This message sponsored by the United States. Now, on the other hand, uh, we could we could read others. Now, Cynthia Lowry of the Associated was it Associated Press? Yeah, she talked about the counterpoint effect, the counterpuntal effect, of weaving in what appeared to be a disparate narration with uh, pictures that uh, it was a counterpoint of images, pictures, and reality, which is an interesting point. However, uh, 
I, 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 uh, I think it's, uh, wouldn't you like to see those two uh, Philadelphia critics meet in an elevator? <laughs> well, that shows, see, I think most people don't, uh, unless they get a large number of mail from other people about various things they've done, don't realize the tremendous differences that exist in the world of aesthetics. Uh, this is this is the one place where uh, people really split off. They they separate into many many different areas, and it's uh, it's it's difficult to be. Uh, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm overly tolerant. I don't know. I, I I just find it difficult to put down something that somebody else digs. For example, uh, I I was in a plane here not long ago. And uh, the airplane was filled. It was, P4, it, was a, it was 747, a tremendous load of passengers, and they had a couple of films. And uh, I was sitting back. I couldn't escape. It was like a like a trapped audience. And all of a sudden, they put the, the screen down, and and uh, they started to show the film. Well, I I uh, instantly uh, my head went blank. Not that I don't like to watch films on movies, uh, you know, movies on planes, but. It was, uh, I was reading something that was important to me, and, and I just wasn't involved. But then I began to notice that the film that was on was, uh, and I'm not going to name names, it doesn't matter, but uh, it, was, you know, it was a Doris Day type film, which I would find infinitely dull, personally. And it was so predictable. And I was watching it without the sound, which it gives you an interesting feeling. And uh, and I noticed that, 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 gee, the people were sitting around laughing and chortling about it. They were really loving it. Now, there was a time in my life when I would have put them down for this. You know, I would have said, oh, it shows how ridiculous America is, how ridiculous the aesthetic values. This is, a, this is one of the most intolerant attitudes. Because, you know, we don't live very long on this globe, if you're going to be honest about it. We spend a very short time on the globe. And uh, we find our thing where we find it. And maybe maybe I'm too tolerant, I don't know. But I find that I can't get angry with a nice blue-haired lady because she's waiting in line to watch Doris Day. No, I can't. Now, I could have a few years ago, but I can't now. If it gives her pleasure, then that's important. Now, again, I'm not arguing about critical aesthetic, critical, artistic values. We're not discussing that. That's something else again. Uh, so I, I say, well, fine. I don't think there's anything wrong. Uh, I find it as intolerant for people who say dig the stones, who put down those who dig Lawrence Welk, as the reverse. People who, you know, dig Lawrence Welk and dig short hair, who will put down people with long hair who happen to be hung on the stones. They're both very intolerant of other people's enjoyment other people's inner satisfaction, other people's sense for a few moments of being exalted above their own lives. And uh, so maybe, again, this is, a, this is intolerant. <laughs> or maybe it's tolerant. I don't know. But uh, I, find it, I find it that way. So, so reading these two critics, I can't get mad at one and dig the other. You know, we tend to think that the guy that says we're great shows fantastic insight. <laughs> And on the other hand, we tend to put down the guy that just put us down as being, uh, you know, a, uh, a boob. And so that's, uh, that's, that, that it also is intolerant. So I say, well, these are two very valid views, and uh, that's the way they stand. 
But the thing that makes it intriguing is they disagree completely over one specific point, and I think this is where we get into the significance of this. Do you notice one said that nobody would identify with that show, or few. The other said everybody would identify it. In other words, they, they both agreed on a specific point. That's intriguing. Uh, what is identification then? That's as difficult to determine as what is love, what is truth, what is beauty. <laughs> In short, many people look for unusual experiences. And they find seeing something that they have never felt and never experienced before. They find this exciting. And so he thinks that many other people feel that way too. On the other hand, many people wish to be shown only the thing which they've already understood. You see what I'm saying? They wish to be shown where they've gone. Others wish to be shown where they have never ventured. At two different kinds of men. You notice many people will go to the same place year after year after year on their vacation? They don't want to change. Many people will visit the same country every year when they go to, let's say, they, they go to Europe. Other people are searching always for another experience. They, they'll, they'll go all the way up to the North Pole on their two-week vacation looking for a new experience. Now, these are two opposite poles, and they are both valid for those people. Some like the path they've traveled, others like paths they have never felt. And they're both valid. Uh, I think, I think, uh, have you noticed, have you noticed too that, that, uh, that, uh, that, that many people, now one guy, one guy never even mentioned anything about memory in, in his review, Poirier. He talked about experiences. Whereas the other referred to memories. Well, now, every writer works out of memory. When, when Joseph Heller writes Catch-22 after he is in the Army in World War II, he is writing about memory. All writers write about memory in one way or another. And uh, some people don't recognize them as that, but that's what they are. Now, uh, for those of you who follow my show regularly, you know that not more than one or two days out of a week or maybe a month even, will I even tell a story that, that even tangentially has to do with memory. I may make a comment on 50,000 different pieces that appear in today's paper, but that's never referred to by certain critics. Uh, so, so memory is a powerful f uh, fact in people's lives. And they all, it's one thing we all have, no matter who you are, you have a memory. And no matter what your sex, no matter what your color is, no matter what your nationality, whatever you might be, Memory is the one thing you all have. Now, that's not the same as nostalgia. A six-year-old kid has memories. He really does. <laughs> now, he may not view them the same way that a 66-year-old man has, but to both of them, their lives have been just as long. Now, that's a curious problem. You know, we tend to think of a kid as suddenly, you know, he's living a short life. But when you're 10, looking back on your life from 10, it seems like it was forever. Because it was forever to you. It's the only thing you know. Looking back from 97, it's forever. And at the same time, it's just an instant. So what is memory? 
It's, it's, it's life. And that's about all that anybody has to share with anybody else. And it's a, it's a curious, uh, which in a sense is what art is about, really. It's an attempt to share a view of life, I suppose. Uh, you find this interesting? <laughs> or am I boring you? <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but uh, I, I, uh, I was fascinated by this because we're getting, we're getting critical comments from all over the country about it. And, and uh, they're, they're wildly... I notice one thing, that the further out of New York you get, the, le the more people tend to view it as a television show and, and, and comment on that uh, than to review my past career, uh, which is interesting, too. Uh, so somebody living in, say, Los Angeles is not aware that I'm on WOR at night, so he tends to review it in a very different way than somebody who's heard me on WOR. So uh, it gets very complex, and I, and I, and I often wonder what our, why, what our dependence is. I, I wonder why people tend to, and I'm talking about all of us, not just one of us, but all of us, why we need reinforcements for our opinions. Regardless of what it is, a guy feels real warm in his, in his gut when he reads, say, in Consumers Union, that the car that he bought just got a good review. Now, why does he feel this way? The guy that reviewed it is just as fallible as he is. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but we do feel this. We feel very strongly about this. And I think that as we get more and more... Uh, as the population increases and we get more and more so-called uh, uh, de-personalized uh, in life when there'll be three billion people in America, we tend to want to have somebody else say that what we did was good. I doubt whether reviewers had much importance in the days of Shakespeare. I just doubt it very much, but I think that, that as you notice, they get more and more important today. Until today now, a reviewer is really a major god in a city. Uh, many people get more excited, say, at the, at the Broadhurst or at the, at the Longacre when Clive Barnes walks in than when, say, Rod Steiger walks in. And I've seen it actually happen. I was, I was in, a, in a group of people uh, who included, among others, who included Robert Preston, who was a, a, a fine Broadway performer, as you know, and, uh, and a recognized artist, really fine. If you, if you saw him in, if you've ever seen him in, say, something like... Uh, uh, the music man, you realize he's a major figure. Well, we happened to be walking behind. It was in a group of people. He was just in this group. He, he doesn't even know me from Adam, but he was just there. So he, well, we were in a group of people, and he's really identifiable, too, remember? <laughs> you, you see him, and he looks just like he looks. Well, we're working, walking this car. Well, right ahead of us, there was a distinguished critic from a New York newspaper. Well, as we walked down the aisle, it was fantastic to see the excitement in the audience of the people who were all pointing out that uh, Mr. X from the Times had just come in. And uh, they weren't watching, they weren't interested in Preston at all. That night in the, in the group, uh, in the party, the theater party I was with, in uh, two, two seats away was an old friend of mine. I've known her for a long time, was Geraldine Page. And I, I knew her, you know, as a non-professional. We're just old friends. So we're sitting there, and, uh, and people all around were looking down at the end of the aisle. We happened to be in the same aisle. At the end of the aisle was, was uh, this critic. 
sitting down there, and a lady kept leaning over <laughs> Jerry Page to watch the critics. She kept looking down there. She never, never once bothered to to see the performer next to her or the one of, that it was all about. Which, which leads you to believe today that that we depend. And I'm not putting down the whole world of the critics, but it it leads you to believe that we 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 tend to rely very much today in our time on an official opinion. Uh, and I, I I suspect this. Uh, this is a thing that, that has prompted the growth of political newspapers, of which we have millions of today. Uh, it, it fills in every different area. Our own opinion must be. I think uh, that it's kind of great to go to a demonstration. I think this is one of the reasons why pe many people go to because they want to feel part of, of a group of people who feel the same way. So somebody holds up a big sign, and uh, it gives you a warm feeling that you feel the same thing. So it's, I think that as we get, get more and more involved in population growth, we're going to get more that way. But my only feeling is this. Uh, and if you, if you, here comes a message is coming in here, very important one. That if you, if, if you enjoyed what I did and what we did on this show, I, I appreciate it. If you didn't, I also appreciate that too. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, well, that's, yes, that's right. I agree. But see, they wouldn't, uh, that's, that's off the subject here at this point. However, um, uh, I think, I think that, uh, it's very personal, and uh, one one more thing I must point out that uh, that we tried to break through in the the idea of uh, format, which means that each show is completely distinct from the one before it. We've approached each one as a separate and distinct creation, and nothing to do with the last one. And I think this is the only way that any kind of an artist can can work. And I'm not trying to be. Uh, pompous about the word artist, but let's face it, what if, what if a short story writer wrote the same short story every week in the New Yorker? I mean, just change the names. Uh, what if, uh, what if, uh, what if a painter painted the same painting every week and he just changed the color? Uh, and I think that, uh, that this is important. So next week, if you, if you get a chance to watch it, you'll find it's totally different from the last week's show. And that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> I'll never, I'll never refer to it again. Uh, but it had to happen. Now, here's, here's a classic example. I just got a little note here that I brought in to show you something. In Manchester, England, I don't know whether I did this on the air or not, but it, it, it fits right in here. George Mackenzie, now this is in Manchester, liked chamber music on the radio. Mrs. Mackenzie liked rock. The dispute got so hot, it finally got into the divorce court when each charged the other with extreme cruelty. The judge, apparently a chamber music man himself, granted Mackenzie the decree. <laughs> so, uh, and yet I'd have to say, I'm sure that, that the, even Solomon would have to say it, that they're both right. And uh, I, you could add the cliche, they're both wrong. I don't believe they are. I think they're both right. And so sex, uh, enjoyment, entertainment, rides on the uh, Bobsy twins, uh, uh, the way a bugle sounds at midnight. All these things. Personally, for example, I have a, I have some very depraved tastes. One of them, I happen to like lousy, terrible, bad horror movies on late, late television. This happens to be one of my... <laughs> I, I have never yet been able to get through more than the second page of anything written by Updike. Now, that doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. I'm just talking personally. 
I find John Barth one of the greatest bores of the Western world, but that's me. Uh, and yet there I am, I'm watching the, the return of the egg people, or the monster that swallowed the Bronx. And they're digging it all away, you know, I find myself cheering for the egg people. Uh, so what are you going to do about that? Uh, <laughs> we're getting another message here. So who's right, who's wrong? Nobody. I've got another bad hang-up, too. I have to like uh, some science fiction movies, but only a few. Mostly, whenever the, whenever the scientist's daughter shows up, I turn it off. That's uh, bad news right away. You know, the scientist's daughter, who's also a biochemist, and she meets as uh, Steve Axelrod, the young major, who has been given the assignment to uh, do away with the invaders of Mars. Uh, this is not for me. So each man flies his own kite, and we all walk a lonely, lonely path. And, uh, you hear something? You hear the water dripping? <laughs> oh, the more you eat, the more you want. I mean, who can resist Cracker Jack in the final analysis? This is WOR New York, and we have coming up Lester Smith and the News.